Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And today we have a jam-packed episode with a bunch of topics, including MLS opening weekend, Carabao Cup final, and more. Uh, we can start out with the game in the Premier League between our two teams, Garrett, between my Manchester City and your Everton. There was controversy, and this one wasn't there. Uh, there were chances on, on both sides. Everton played really well. The first half were probably the better side. Um, but it was in the second half, City were, were you know pounding the goal, trying to get in. Eventually, it was Phil Foden uh, in the 82nd minute, giving City the 1-0 lead. It was just kind of it, it fell to him uh, off of Bernardo Cross. Not great defending by Everton. And it just fell to Phil, who just you know pushed, put it by Pickford. Uh, for the 1-0 win, but uh, later on, right near the end of the game, there was a huge penalty shout with a handball against Rodri. It came right off of his arm. Garrett, I know you have thoughts on him on this one. Give them to me. I mean, it's a clear penalty. I, I, like, And every City fan I saw on, every, on uh, Twitter, rather, you know, they all agreed, yeah, it's a penalty. But then the problem, my honestly, the thing that annoyed me the most was that um, NBC, right, who obviously cover the Premier League in the U.S. and have all the broadcasting rights. They basically lied to us about what happened. They said, oh, VAR ruled it out for uh, an offside on Richarlison in the buildup. And then they tried to, like, draw their own line to show it. Well, that's not true because he was judged to have been onside. And then Chris Kavanaugh somehow, after looking at this obvious handball for two minutes, said, oh, it's not conclusive, didn't send uh, Tierney to the to the screen. Uh, and it's just, I don't understand it whatsoever. It's an obvious penalty. Um, you know, and, and I feel very hard done by it. It would have been a really big point for Everton to pick up in a game that obviously we were expected to lose by probably more than, than a goal to nil, definitely more than a goal to nil. Um, but yeah, no, as you said, first half, I thought we did really well. We started to get tired in the second half city picked up a lot more possession, um, but they really didn't have that many amazing chances. Pickford had a couple decent saves, but to be honest, they were mainly right at him. And um, there was the kind that of double, double save that save he made. Was, yeah, that was yeah, yeah. But the, the, the well, the De Bruyne save was was good. Like it was a decent shot, but definitely something Pickford should be saving, in my opinion. And then Bernardo just blasted it on the rebound, but it was right at Pickford. He was able to just stick his hand out and and block it. So Pickford had a good game, um, definitely. But I mean, the goal was quite fortuitous, in my opinion. It was. A Bernardo Silva cross, which got deflected. Michael Keane was flat footed because he was going one direction and then tried to, you know, switch directions to clear the ball out. Couldn't reach it, kind of flicked off his toe. And then Foden's there and Pickford was already going the wrong direction as well. So Foden basically just tapped it in, um, which, you know, it was a really, really unlucky way for us to con concede. Really tough for us considering, you know, how badly we need points at the moment. And then just to not get that penalty, it's just infuriating. And it always feels like, you know, Everton, aside from that one derby where Sadio Mane was offside by about a millimeter, um, VAR decisions are always going against us. I, I could name so many examples of awful decisions that have screwed us over the past. And this is just another one. Um, so, yeah, it's a really disappointing result. But I thought the performance was very encouraging um, and, and kind of my main positive to take away from it was having Abdullah Decore back 
is absolutely huge because he was phenomenal in this game in the midfield. And the midfield three of DeCorey Allen and Von de Beek was really effective, especially in the first half before they got tired out by City's, you know, relentless possession. Um, so if he can stay fit, um, you know, I think our performances should be better and we have some really, really important games coming up. So that's kind of the biggest hope that I can take out of the game. Yeah, he did. He did have a fantastic game, didn't he? And as you say, Everton really need those points right now. Only sitting one point above the relegation zone, one point above Burnley, both on the same amount of games. You know, we have a lot of differentials, but both of them on 24 uh, games played. So uh, games in hand for both of them uh, against the, the teams above them, right? Leeds at 26, Brentford at 27 games played. But Lee Leverton just sitting in that that would have been a huge point as you said most Evertonians feel hard done by I mean as a city fan I'll say it as well it's clear penalty uh hits right off of his arm it's unfortunate I mean it's a dumb penalty for Rodri to give away in the way that it, it happened um he's just trying to you know control the ball and puts his arm out it's really dumb but and he it, has it, all day to look at it like right exactly it, it, it's it's really dumb um so he's lucky he got away with it but as you say I mean Everton and and as as the club i mean they feel like there's been a, a ton of wrong calls and they even filed a, a complaint to the premier league today uh, about that um, not just about this one but about a, a, a plethora of uh, calls together that they feel like they've been you know discriminated against almost uh, as, as a team and paul tierney has been at the center of a lot of them and so you know obviously i don't think I don't think this one was his fault. He told Lampard after the game that, you know, he was behind the play, so he couldn't see it himself. The fact Chris Cavanaugh didn't send him to the screen is an absolute joke. It's disgraceful. And Lampard ripped into him after the game saying, I have a three-year-old daughter at home who could tell you that was a penalty. Uh, I love it. He'll probably get fined by the FA, but you know, that that's, I think his whole post-game press conference was really well said. So uh, if you haven't, gone and listened to that yet yeah, I, I recommend it but Paul Tierney there's been multiple of them there was one against United a couple seasons back with the Gilfie Sigurdsson phantom offside and when it's it's a joke it's about I think this is the fourth or fifth one that's been just a blatant mistake that Paul Tierney has been the center referee for so yeah I, I think Everton have every right to, to file a complaint but you know the run is now really important we go to Tottenham uh, on Monday, which is going to be a big game. Obviously, Tottenham are in, are in pretty decent form at the moment, um, having just dismantled leads, as we'll talk about in a little bit. But then it's Newcastle at home, Wolves at home, Watford away. Justin, those three games define Everton's season, in my opinion. Yep, absolutely. And, and as you say, we can move on to Spurs because, as you say, they, they destroyed Leeds United 4-0 Kane uh, and Son as well uh, on the score sheet again, but this led to the really surprise sacking of Marcelo Bielsa. Uh, I, I've always been a Bielsa fan. I've always backed him um, on this podcast, and I just love his philosophy, the influence he has had uh, on just football as a whole, and the top managers in the world has been, you know, immeasurable. It's it's been he's as much as anybody in the past, you know, fifty years probably. So it's sad to see him go from the Premier League, but as his Leeds United new appointment is American Jesse Marsh, uh, who we are both very excited to see get the chance. Uh, I know I'm, you know, rooting for Leeds to to stay up more than Garrett is. Obviously, he's worried about Everton, um, but it, it is a massive 
uh, appointment for Leeds United, a big chance for Jesse Marsh, only the third American to ever coach in the Premier League. Um, the other two not, not doing so well previously. So hopefully he can be the first to really succeed and, and keep Leeds up. What are your thoughts on the this Bielsa sacking and the Marsh appointment, Garrett? I mean, obviously injuries have played a big part. Uh, both Calvin Phillips and Patrick Bamford have been out for extended periods of this season. Um, but the fact of the matter is that Leeds have conceded 60 goals this season. That is the worst in the league. It, it, that's a shocking number. Their goal difference is negative 31. The only team with worse than that is Norwich on negative 40. Um, I mean, Leeds have been awful at the back, especially, you know, Calvin Phillips, big miss for that. But, you know, you can't concede 60 goals through 26 games and expect to not be in the relegation dogfight. And that's exactly where they are, right? They're two points clear with two extra games played. So if Burnley or Everton pick up wins, you know, this weekend, Leeds are in the relegation zone. So, um, you know, obviously I, I do like Jesse Marsh being in the Prem. I just hate the fact that I have to root furiously against him because, you know, I don't want Leeds to get relegated. I'd rather it be Brentford or Burnley, but, you know, I'd sure as hell would rather they get relegated than Everton. So I, I at the moment have to root against Jesse Marsh, which I don't like. I don't want to do that, but I have no choice, which is part of why the, the appointment annoys me because, you know, he's come in and he's a direct rival with Everton for survival. It's not like direct rival for like 11th place or something and that I wouldn't care as much. But um, yeah, do I think he'll do well? I don't know, man. The first problem is that defense that he has to sure it up because they are leaking goals right now. They've been absolutely woeful. So I think that's definitely going to be the first priority on his checklist um, of how to, you know, turn lead season around. But um, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for him, Justin. I think leads are in a really tough spot at the moment, even if they get those players back. Um they just look so, so much worse than they did last season. So it, it's going to be really tough job for Jesse Marsh. Um, but I, I definitely think he can keep them up, you know, partly because as we've said many times, there's a lot of bad teams in the league this year. So leads just have to be not one of the, the worst three, right? Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, I, that it is really that defense. And that's where I think that uh, Marsh may be able to, you know, really improve leads. Uh, as opposed to Bielsa, because their styles are are going to be somewhat similar, right? Because we've seen, you know, Marsh at Salzburg, and then he got to Leipzig. He, he got sacked in Leipzig very quickly, but mostly just because, uh, at least in my opinion, that that team would not adopt his play style uh, and wouldn't play together as a team in, in that way, which is going to obviously affect the the results that he's going to get. Um, but at Salzburg, you see, I mean, he he loves to press as Bielsa does his. A uh, counterattacking, he will release very, very quickly. That's, you know, very straight uh, forward attack, trying to release as, as soon as you win the ball, whether it's in the attacking half or the defensive half, you immediately look for the forward pass and, and trying to release somebody uh, on, on a counterattack, which Bielsa loves to do. The difference is that Bielsa will play the same way defensively, right? Uh, which is why Leeds have always been so fun to watch under him is because there will always be goals, whether they're scoring them or conceding them. Uh, because it's just a, a very end-to-end game where Marsh will be more structured defensively and willing to, you know, sit back in a longer period than Bielsa would, who favors possession maybe a little bit more. Um, but 
definitely still going to be a fast paced Leeds United and won't, you know, go from a very exciting team to, to watch to a boring team. I still think that they'll have an exciting play style, uh, even if they are, are going to have to be a little bit more defensive. Yeah, I mean, you say exciting, but at the moment, the only thing exciting is whoever gets to play them next. Because, um, <laughs> I mean, you just look at this, Just in the last four games, 4-0 four loss to Spurs, 6-0 loss to Liverpool, 4-2 loss to United. They lost 3-0 to Everton, right? And we're garbage. So that, I mean, he's got a lot of work to do. But, um, you know, I, I think you're right. You know, maybe not having so much possession will favor them because they've been getting shredded on the counter. And that's what Spurs did. And Spurs were brilliant in this game. I mean, Kulusevsky has been really, really good. That goal that he had dinked inside, smash it to the near post, great finish. And then, you know, we we know about Kane and Son, the most prolific duo in the history of the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, I, Spurs, that's we, we have to travel to London next. Uh, to take them on going to be a really tough game. Uh, you know, I take a point out of that right now, if you offered me um, offered it to me rather. So, and then just quickly before we move on, Justin, a couple other big results in that relegation battle, Newcastle picking up yet another win against a 10 man Brentford. And so now we've kind of seen Newcastle remove themselves almost from the relegation picture. Um, they're, they're sitting pretty comfortably now and Brentford um, are definitely getting dragged into it more and more with every passing week. But Newcastle were so far superior in this game. Uh, another deserved win from them. Eddie Howe really turning things around. Um, so it's going to be really interesting. You know, we've been talking about the relegation battle a lot, um, and it's just getting more and more interesting at this point. But with that, Justin, let's move on to the Champions League. There were a few games that we had, the second round of first leg fixtures, if you will. Um, talk us through them. Yeah, I mean, most of them went pretty much how you would expect. But I mean, that as far as you know, Chelsea beating Lille two nil, um, and then Juventus maybe drawing was as a little bit surprising, right? Because Villarreal. But I don't think that anybody's you know discounting Villarreal after winning you know Europa League and Juventus are having a very poor season. Uh, Vlahovic is the goal in this one. I mean, 32 seconds into the game, he gets his first Champions League goal in his first Champions League game uh, for Juventus. And it, it was a really impressive goal, well taken as well. Very, very good finish across his body into the bottom corner. Um, but it was Danny Pareo getting it back for Villarreal and you know, securing that draw for them. So when, but Juve hosts the second leg. So still the favorites there. Um, not too surprising to me, maybe surprising to some. Uh, and then it was United who drew in the Premier League as well against Watford, drawing in the Champions League against Atleti. Uh, another early goal in this one from Jao Felix and brilliant later header. goal from a yes, it, it was a brilliant diving header, uh, absolutely off of a really good cross as well. And then Alanga coming on and scoring with I don't know if it was, but essentially his first touch of the game right off the bench. Uh, a really bad defensive mistake from Atleti and just let him through and he finished one-on-one. Um, so I, that's pretty much what I would have expected is a one, one draw. I mean, it's going back to old Trafford for the second leg. So we'll see, you know, weight goals don't matter anymore. So I think that that tie could still go either way. Um, totally. But we both, we both predicted uh, Atleti to go through if I'm not mistaken there. 
And I'm, I'm still going to stick with that. To be honest, I, I could totally see Atleti sitting back and just catching United at home. It's not like United have been invincible at Old Trafford. They lost a Middlesbrough there a couple of weeks ago. So who knows? We could see that one go to extra time, go to penalties. I think that'll be a really exciting second leg. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Atleti were by far the, the superior side in that first half, right? They should have been up by two or three goals and won that game and then put United in a bad position. United are really lucky to come out with of that one with a draw. Uh, well, the honestly, second half, even, though, United were much they better, did play in, the better in the second half, half for sure. But uh, I mean, I think even De Gea said it after the game They're They'll take a point. They're very uh, they feel that they almost got away with one there um, because, yeah, Atleti were really, really dominant in that first half. United were the better side in the second half, but not nearly as dominant as, as Atleti were, in my opinion. Um, and then it was Ajax and Benfica. I mean, I, I predicted Ajax to go through easily, and this is a 2-2 game. I told uh, you. It's Benfica are putting up a fight, no doubt. Uh, although, it you know, it was, it was uh, in Portugal, so we'll see what happens when they go to Amsterdam. But impressive from Benfica, for sure. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Alaire had two goals in three minutes, but unfortunately one of them was for Benfica. Um, but no, it was a pretty <laughs> evenly matched game. 17 shots to 11 favoring Benfica, four shots on target to eight favoring Ajax. So Ajax were, were definitely a bit more efficient with their chances. Uh, I agree. I think Ajax will still win the second leg in Amsterdam, but you said it was going to be a blowout. I told you it'd be closer and, you know, two, two going into the second leg, definitely still very close. So. Yeah, I hope a, they a blow them out in the watch. second leg so I don't look so bad. But they, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> surprised. I'll tell you that. I mean, it's the first game that Ajax haven't won in the Champions League this season. So a, a very good performance from Benfica. And with that, Justin, we can move into the biggest game from the weekend, which was the City, I mean, Carabao Cup final. Uh, <laughs> not with, with City not in it this time. Chelsea and Liverpool playing out the most entertaining nil-nil draw you'll ever see. And then a penalty shootout that was just on, honestly, it was predictable. It was predictable. They sub on Kepa, the quote unquote penalty shootout specialist. He fails to save a single penalty and then sends his into Rosed. Uh, I mean, this was a crazy game. What a storyline. Absolutely. Uh, it was really a, a very fun one to watch as you say the most entertaining nil nil game you're gonna see the there was chances for both sides all over the place um the fact that nobody did score is is really just incredible there was 3.6 xg combined between the teams so you know nearly there should be goals there should be goals i mean kelleher was very impressive to me making multiple uh, saves that I, I wouldn't have expected to, him to make obviously uh, him getting the start as he gets uh, in the cups uh, over Allison and, you know, Kepa usually starts the cups, right. But in the final that Tuchel decided that he's going to start his, his starter Mendy and uh, Mendy as well made a couple of really good saves. There was, there was one that was just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, from Van Dyke's header. Oh, well, the yeah. Mane one, too. The Mane one was the, right, Mane had a tap in on, on a rebound, and, you know, Mendy somehow got a hand to it, put it over the bar. 
unbelievable. But then, you know, also, Justin, we think about, so yeah, 3.6 XG, and that doesn't count the four goals that were ruled out for offside. Obviously, the the uh, one for Liverpool being Matip's header, which went in and originally was not called offside, but then uh, it was a judge that Van Dyke had interfered with Reese James' ability to defend, and he was standing in an offside position. I think it's totally the right decision, by the way, because he put an arm around Reese James, didn't let him get to Mane, who had headed it back across for Matip to finish. So that was a correct decision. And then Chelsea had three goals ruled for offside. None of them via VAR. They were all uh, um, just the, the linesman put the flag up, although the Lukaku one was very, close. very close. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Havertz had a, a, a header ruled out. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was a crazy game. Pulisic probably should have scored in the first, like, three minutes. Uh, that was a good save from Kelleher, but... I mean, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy game. Absolutely. Lukaku getting benched uh, was notable as well for the final. But, I mean, in penalties, you when you reach the goalkeeper on every single player has scored, it's, it's really unbelievable that uh, when you're overperforming your XG on penalties, that, that's ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's really incredible. And Kelleher buried his penalty, by the way. No, there were a lot of fantastic penalties in that shootout. There was the one that I forget who it was from that uh, Keppa got a hand to that he should have saved. And then Kelleher had one just go right under his fingertips. But yep. no, there was some there, there was one penalty. Uh, I think it was Van Dyke's when yeah, Keppa had one. like yep. stepped. He stepped to the side that Van Dyke was going to go to. And he knew Van Dyke was going there. And Van Dyke put it so far in the top corner that he couldn't save it anyway. Yeah, he just powered it so incredibly hard uh kept had nothing to do about it but you're right he was completely to that side and then van dyke gave him a little look with the tongue out afterwards um but a it didn't come back to bite him because liverpool ended up victorious uh i i i predicted that when we were when we predicted predicted this a while ago we uh we predicted this final i believe liverpool chelsea you predicted chelsea to win and i predicted liverpool it could have gone either way obviously um but Liverpool lift a trophy on Chelsea, who you know, every all the Chelsea fans are saying that's okay. We'll we'll take the UCL and and you can take the Carabao. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, though, I think this this is Tuchel's fault, honestly. Um, I, I wow. think, and I tweeted it when it happens. You you don't take off arguably the best goalkeeper in the world. Like I don't care if you think. Keppa is a penalty shootout specialist. The fact of the matter is that Edward Mendy just won a shootout in the AFCON final by saving a penalty and then having Mane convert his. So like, I, I don't understand it. There was also a couple that Keppa was close to where I know Mendy with his extra length, he would have saved in my opinion. And I sure as hell think that Mendy would have saved, you know, one out of 11 penalties. Keppa let every single penalty in. Um, so, so that, that- that is the question then. Do you think that, because I mean, this is without doubt Chelsea's plan. This is their strategy. It's what they always do. They bring on Keppa, you know, to, to, for any shootout that they're in, will they keep doing that? Is that over? Uh, I think it should be. I mean, it's the worst performance in a shootout I've seen from a keeper, you know, that I can think of, you know, like he literally did not save a single penalty. And then when he had to score his, he blasted it. It's, you know, probably somewhere in the asteroid belt right about now. Yeah, there's a funny video of the Liverpool fans behind the goal 
and uh, they're just waiting in anticipation for Keppa's, and then you just hear them screaming, and then you see this ball flying into the into the stands. Uh, it's it's really funny, but yeah, a tough tough moment for Keppa. You saw all of his teammates mob him and, and you know tell him to keep his head up after he missed it, but I'm sure he's still thinking about it right now. No, I mean, it was an awful penalty. I, I really don't understand what he was going for there. But And from a final, we can move to an opening day in Major League Soccer. Uh, this was a fun one. I got to attend at the Bank of California Stadium with LAFC. Uh, we can start there, actually, if we want. it. We, LAFC uh, beating Colorado 3-0 on a Carlos Vela hat trick, uh, showing his 2019 form. He starts with a penalty that is drawn by Helen Acosta, uh, getting uh, hitting it into the hand of uh, who was it? Abubakar, I believe. Yep. And he and Vela just slots it home to the right hand side. Uh, Wood and Yarborough went the other way. And then he was through on from a Jose C. Fuentes through ball, a one on one. He was able to held Abubakar off again, nearly offside. VAR looked at it. Uh, but he, he was just on side and, and finished it one-on-one again. And then it was a classic Carlos Vela finish cut in from the right on his left foot around the defender into the bottom left corner. Gerber had no chance and he sealed the hat trick with that, uh, with that goal. If you want to see my reaction of that goal, by the way, you can go to LA soccer hub. They, they posted my reaction there. I saw that. Uh, yeah, so it was a great opening day for LAFC. Great start for Steve Trundolo. On the other hand, uh, for my Quakes, uh, quite the opposite. A 3-1 loss at home to a injury-riddled New York Red Bulls side. Uh, woeful performance, to be honest. Uh, Chofis uh, had our one goal, which was an equalizer after Klimala slipped in and scored in first half stoppage time. Um, but, you know, I honestly think 3-1 is almost flattering to the Quakes because the defensive shape was absolutely non-existent. It was one of the worst tactical performances I've seen in a long time, and it's making me seriously doubt Almeida, you know, starting in a weird 3-4-3 with Jackson Ewell at center back. Also, Nathan sustained what looked to be a pretty serious injury, which is, you know, really, really bad for us. So pretty polar opposite starts for our teams, Justin. Um, and then there were some significant results elsewhere, but we'll get to those by uh, we have a few questions that uh, we have lined up that we're going to discuss here. We haven't told our answers to each other. The first of which was from MLS week one opening day. Who impressed you the most, Justin? For me, you know, there, there were a lot of impressive performances uh, this, this opening day, um, and which is why this is a really good question for me. It was Nashville because I know they only won one nil, right? They went into Seattle at Lumen Field in front of, what was it, 45,000 people or something like that, I think, 40,000, and handled Seattle. We knew that they are a very strong defensive team. We knew that it's going to be hard to score on them, but they only gave up two shots on target, and they were able to find a way in the 80th minute to snatch the three points and leave Seattle. I mean, that is, we both predicted Seattle to, to win the Western conference. Um, I still think that'll probably happen, but it was 
Nashville had a statement coming into the Western Conference. Obviously, this is their first game in the Western Conference. They were in the East last season. Um, but with the addition of Charlotte, they moved over. But this was a really, really impressive performance. I think that people wouldn't have been so shocked by a nil-nil draw or uh, a, that, that would have totally been understandable because Nashville are a very defensive team, very strong. Um, but Seattle not being – obviously, they didn't have Rui Diaz, which is a, a major miss. But to go into Lumen Field and take a three points away from Seattle – uh, on your first game in the Western Conference is really a statement, and that was impressive to me. No, I agree. The one thing I will say to play devil's advocate, Justin, is the Quakes went into Seattle and won 1-0 last season, so don't read too much into it is all I'll say because we still finished in 10th Was that on opening day? It was. it was an opening day, but... Yeah, opening day statement means something. Uh, for me, Justin, I'm going for Austin. Um, I know that Cincinnati have been a relatively maligned franchise since their introduction to the league. But, you know, we talked about Austin putting in some decent performances last year, but, you know, getting pretty unlucky, but we still both predicted them to finish 13th. Um, but they absolutely dismantled I predicted Cincinnati 12. in this game. Oh, did you? Okay. Well, I put them 13th either way towards the bottom of the Western conference, but uh, I mean, they, they destroyed Cincinnati in this game to be fair, all five of their shots on target went in. Um, or actually, I guess it was four of the five because it was uh, the, the final. The fifth goal was an own goal. But, you know, Austin came out to play Cecilio Dominguez with two goals. Sebastian Driussi, who we know is a quality player with a goal, uh, but 19 shots, 57 percent possession, ruthless from the Verde. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, move higher in the table than we both expect. So I, I thought their performance was really impressive. But obviously there were. Some other ones as well. Columbus taking it to Vancouver is another example. So, yeah. Yeah, that Columbus game, they they put four past uh, Vancouver. Obviously, Vancouver got a red card, but very, you know, impressive game there as well. You know, the Galaxy as well. you got to give credit to them beating New York City. Uh, it was at home, but they, New York City, obviously, the defending champions. It was Chicharito in the 90th minute uh, fighting, cutting in on his right foot and burying it uh, to give Galaxy the three points. Uh, another impressive one before we move on to our next question is Atlanta United beating Sporting Kansas City, two, two teams that should be near the top of their conferences. 3-1, uh, pretty comfortable win for Atlanta United without Tiago Amada, by the way. Um, but our next question can might be one of those games, one of those teams who surprised you the most uh, this this game, this opening day. Justin, the team that surprised me the most was Colorado because I thought they were absolutely awful in this game. Um, obviously, LAFC were, were good and they deserved to win, but a lot of the problems were of Colorado's design. I mean, the defending 3-0 could have been significantly worse than that. I mean, we talk about Vela's second goal, the one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, that is the worst offside line of a back line I've ever seen one player 15 yards behind the rest. And then he, you know, realizes, Oh shoot, Vela's going to be on side, tries to step up. It's too late. And then, you know, a one V one, which Vela's not really going to miss is he, although uh, Kamara or Abubakar rather did a good job to, to almost catch up to him. 
But, I mean, I thought Colorado were all over the place in this game. Their defensive shape was awful. They were giving away the ball in just, you know, the worst possible places all over the pitch. Um, You know, they were reasonable going forward, had a few chances, but didn't really do much with them. Only one shot on target. Crapo really didn't have much to do at all in his LAFC debut. So, honestly, I was surprised at how poor Colorado were in this game. That was my biggest surprise. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, I like to take credit as, you know, LAFC just played really well, but it was. I mean, you look at the game flow chart. It was complete LAFC domination. Uh, there was never a, a time in the game where, you know, Colorado was really putting pressure uh, on LAFC. Uh, you can tell that from from the game flow chart where they never reached over 0.1 max possession value difference, um, which is just a metric of who who's controlling the game, essentially. So yeah that very good shout as well obviously they won the western conference last season so expecting more a little bit of surprise that they couldn't put up more of a fight um for me it was who who impressed you surprised me is austin uh i think that the reason that they didn't necessarily impress me is that they're playing cincinnati i expect everybody to dismantle cincinnati uh not only that they gave cincinnati a few chances uh, there, Cincinnati definitely could have put you know two or three on the board here, with with a couple of really good chances that they just missed. But what what surprised me is Austin scoring. Uh, they last season that was their issue, right? They they were not able to score very many goals. Uh, they were the lowest scoring team in the Western Conference last season with thirty five goals, even lower. They finished twelfth. Houston finished. 13th who had you know one more goalie than them even so the absolute lowest scoring team in the league and they put five in the net uh in in week one it was that that is impressive their finishing has stepped up for sure and most of them were very nice finishes apart from probably alexander ring uh, who just kind of got lucky as he, he missed his kick right into the ground um, and then even the own goal was uh, of their own creation you know jite with a really nice move and didn't get credit for the goal, but created it for sure. So that, that was very surprising to me is Austin being able to score that many goals, even if it was Cincinnati. So our final question, Justin, uh, we obviously made our MLS predictions in last week's episode. So the question is, if you could change any of those predictions right now, what would it be? You're not going to like to hear this, but. San Jose. I hate I that I have the same answer as you. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, well, we I think we both predicted them in seventh in that last playoff spot. Um, but it's it's not that you know losing to Red Bull is that you know shocking or or worrying for San Jose, in my opinion. I think Red Bull will make the playoffs for sure, and I think they'll have a probably a pretty good season in the east, but San Jose just looked really poor. I mean, Trophies was able to score a goal, but there wasn't that much creation and there was a domination of possession, 70% possession almost for the San Jose and still not be able to create the type of chances that Red Bull were easily able to create uh, as well as I'm sure you're going to mention this, but losing Nathan, we don't know how long he'll be out yet. I don't think, um, but he, if that's a long-term injury, that's a major loss defensively for San Jose and could really impact their season negatively. Yeah. I, I mean, I've picked the same thing. I think uh, 
I could also move Colorado down, to be honest, would be another one that, that I could potentially say, because, you know, they were they were also very, very bad. But I mean, Almeida, it, it, like, I just don't get it. The formation, you know, the defense, the, literally the defending was so, so bad. I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. I was watching it with one of my friends who's also a, a Quakes fan and like the amount of awful giveaways. And then Jackson, you playing center back. Just why? Uh, we were all over the place. There was so many times where there was like, you know, one player running at two defenders. And then there's obviously one, there's only one player who's in support that the Red Bulls could pass to, but both center backs go to the ball and leave that guy wide open. And, you know, I honestly think New York probably deserved to score four or five goals in this game if they had been more clinical. Um, but, you know, they were riddled with injury, like a lot of players missing. Caden Clark only came off the bench, immediately got an assist. It, it was a woeful, woeful performance. Um, and yeah, losing Nathan makes me just worried that it, it won't turn around that quickly. I think the formation needs to go back to a 4-2-3-1 immediately if we have any chance of even coming close to what we both predicted us to finish, which is seventh. So um, just an awful start. I, I'm very discouraged by it. Um, I'm starting to lose faith in Almeida because uh, me and my friend Nathan, who I was watching with, both agree there's no excuses anymore. This team, the, the roster that he has... You know, obviously losing Nathan makes it significantly worse at the back, but uh, this roster should be good enough to at least be competing for the playoffs again, at least. So if, if we're as bad as what that game showed, then I think Almeida, not, you know, he should be leaving for a better job. I think he should be getting sacked. Wow. Wow. Yeah, because there's there's a lot of talk about Almeida, you know, wanting to leave or potentially getting a better job he, he has had success prior to coming to san jose um which is why i predicted them you know to finish in their in in a playoff spot um but if he can't if he can't find a way to find the best out of that squad because it, it is probably the best squad san jose has had in years so we will see um but yeah a very exciting opening weekend uh Charlotte with their first game they lost 3-0 to DC United uh not really surprising there but note noteworthy that it was you know Charlotte's first game they will host the Galaxy next weekend in their first home game uh, in Charlotte which should be a very fun and festive day for them and I just wanted to quickly say on that uh, Chicharito 90th minute winner, the defending on that, like I texted you immediately. Why <laughs> would you let him cut inside there? He's not like Chicharito from that angle on his left foot. I highly doubt he scores if he actually shoots there. But the New York City defender, I don't remember who it was, went to ground, let Chicharito cut inside, and then he's not going to miss the chance from there. But that's, you know, you got to pick the, the lesser of the two evils. And so you don't go to ground hoping to block a left-footed shot from an acute angle, which just lets him cut it inside and, and bury it. So, I mean, that was woeful defending, but the Galaxy probably deserved to win this game. Unfortunately, you know, most of the possession, 15 shots to nine, six shots on target to one. Pretty flat start from New York City, maybe still hungover from winning MLS Cup. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to mention that as well. And then there, there were a few other... Uh, you know, good games across the league, Portland and new England drawing two, two. Yeah. I was just going to say on there. that, on that, we have to, with, we can't go to talk about MLS opening weekend without talking about the goal of opening weekend. As much as I want it to be Carlos Vela, it is not, it is Jimmy Chara with a bicycle kick uh, into the bottom right corner. 
what a finish that was from Jimmy Tara to secure the 1.4 Portland. They created a ton of chances, uh, had, had some really good ones, could have found a way to win this potentially, uh, as well as New England did. But it, that that goal has to be the goal of the week um, from, from Jimmy Tara. Very, very well, impressive. And- I, could be, I could be wrong, but didn't you uh, do the tweet saying I vote Vela for MLS goal of the week? uh mls player of the week sir oh okay okay that makes more sense i was about to say practice what you preach justin but then it was also the uh the famous girlfriend backpass merchant sebastian legette scoring on debut <laughs> for the revs yeah what did he he just passed it into the goal that was probably the only forward pass he had all day um <laughs> no but portland portland uh i mean this is this was obviously a very good game portland expected to be pretty good i predicted them to finish uh, I think second. Yes. And New England obviously set an uh, MLS points record last season. So two, two very good teams. Uh, this could probably be argued to be the game of the week, which I think Portland will also be uh, participating in next week when they visit the bank, which is going to, be, which is the only uh, top 10 matchup, top 10 power rankings matchup uh, next week, I believe, uh, which LAFC are now at the top of, by the way, with, uh, Nashville second, Atlanta third. So that will be a very fun one to watch. I will be in attendance as well. Yeah, 7 p.m. on a Sunday. Nice little night game. I hope you don't have oh, class yeah. on Monday, Justin. I do, but whatever. <laughs> you got to roll with the punches. Worth it. Worth it for a big top of the table Western Conference matchup there. So, uh, yeah. Both my teams have big matchups as well because. We have the Manchester Derby this weekend as well, which will, which we will be covering next week. I think with that, Justin, we can close off this episode. Thank you all for listening. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at U90Football. That's U90Football. We'll be back next week talking about MLS Game Week 2, the Manchester Derby, as you said, Everton Spurs, some other good games. Uh, so look forward to that, um, and uh, we'll see you then.